Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Lance Meadow with you. I'll be joined by John Schmoak momentarily. And a reminder, multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can hit us up on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So the Giants day two of joint practices with the Lions. We're going to bring in John Schmelk, who is in Motown. He has been observing all of the practices, so we'll get an update from him. And then a little bit later on, we'll get to your phone calls as well as your tweets to discuss everything related to the New York Giants. Schmelk, hope all is well. How is Motown treating you? Howdy. Everything's good. I mean, uh, we just got literally walked into my hotel room from practice about uh, five minutes ago. And, uh, you know, temperatures in, like, the low 80s, sun's been out, it's been nice, been good days of practice, Uh, Detroit's treating us pretty well. Well, that is good to hear. Timing is everything in terms of you just sliding into the hotel room in preparation for the show, so we like that. Now, it seemed from a generic standpoint, John, yesterday's practice, Tuesday I'm referring to, maybe the offense wasn't as crisp as we've seen here in East Rutherford, New Jersey, but today they seem to have bounced back. How would you best assess the difference between both days, at least from the offensive standpoint? Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. I think in on day one, they tried to do some stuff down the field, and quite frankly, and again, I'm not worried about it because it's the first time we've sure. seen it all throughout practice in the summer I thought Daniel Jones just missed some throws he usually makes and I think he said that in his post-practice presser yesterday where he was a little scattershot which is very you know he'll miss a throw here or there but usually he's fairly accurate even if he misses he only misses by a little bit but he was kind of all over the place a little bit on day one I'm not sure if he was a little bit jacked up or whatever it was but today he came back and I thought the offense to your point was a lot smoother. I thought they put a lot of quick, short passes in. They did a lot of uh, play action. They moved the quarterback out on rollouts to get them on the move, both him and Tyrod Taylor. And I think that kind of settled the offense into a bit of a rhythm, and it helped them uh, be a little bit more consistent. And I think the other thing, Lance, too, they did a lot of red zone work today. You know, yesterday was a lot more full field work. This week was a lot more red. uh, Today, rather, was a lot more red zone work. And I think that's something the Giants are just very good at. They practice it a lot. We know they were one of the best red zone teams in football last year. 
and they just know how to design the offense, and I think you have to tip your cap to Brian Dable and Mike Kafka in this regard. They know how to get guys open in the red zone, and I think they did a good job executing those plays today. And it seems as if Darren Waller was a standout, not that that's necessarily surprising considering, I know, what we've seen back here in New Jersey, but... This was really our first taste, John, to see Waller match up with somebody that's not in a Giants uniform and what perhaps he'll be exposed to during the course of the regular season. So I'm curious how he fared against some different personnel and who the Lions maybe chose to match up with him more often than not. So maybe we get a better idea of how opposing teams will handle him moving forward. Yeah, I thought the Giants did a good job of getting linebackers on him. Uh, They did not run any one-on-ones today with the wide receivers and defensive backs or tight ends and linebackers, things like that, and safety. So uh, did not get a good feel for how they matched up in those situations today. But Waller looked like Waller looks. I mean, he's he caught one of the first plays of those red zone seven-on-seven drills. He basically had a guy draped on him. Jones threw it to him. He used his gigantic frame and reach to pluck the ball out of the air to score the touchdown, even though he was covered. And I think that's, you know, kind of a a big weapon they can use with Waller in the red zone where there's not a lot of space to operate, but his frame allows you to put the ball in there, even though he's not technically open. And look... Waller's going to be their top offensive weapon, whether it's, you know, deep crosses over the middle of the field, whether it's short stuff trying to, you know, convert third and fours, third and fives, things like that. Uh, Daniel Jones knows where he's going to be. He trusts them. Those guys have a very good rapport together. And I think it's something we're going to see grow as practice continues uh, through the rest of camp. Because speaking of who the Lions are throwing out there, I think not that Giants fans are immersed in terms of what the Lions did this offseason, but the reason why I thought this matchup, John, was intriguing, maybe not so much with the linebackers, even though they did draft Jack Campbell and Alex Anzalone is a veteran guy, but they revamped their secondary. So the Giants wide receivers slash tight ends were going up against... Cam Sutton from the Pittsburgh Steelers, C.J. Gardner-Johnson with the Eagles, and I know he was banged up a little bit earlier in training camp, but you know, it wasn't as if the Lions were showcasing a bunch of young, raw talent that the Giants' passing attack was going to be tested against over these last two days. Yeah, Emmanuel Mosley's another guy they added, but he's on, he's on uh, PUP. the PUP list, so yeah. he, he was not participating this week. But you're right, they do have more veteran cornerbacks, and I think we saw that on the first day where they were sticky to some of the Giant receivers. But look, I, to me, the Giants' offense looked against Detroit like it has here, to be honest with you. Um, and you know we've talked about this on the show before. I go back to 2015 when the Giants went to practice against the Bengals, and we felt pretty good about where the Giants were that year heading in to that set of practices during training camp. And then you get there and you realize, oh, the Giants only look good in camp because they were playing against themselves. <laughs> and and <laughs> yeah. then, oh, here here comes Tyler Eifert and here comes um, A.J. Green. Oh, no one can block Geno Atkins. Well, that could be a problem. Carlos Dunlap's murdering our tackles. Uh-oh, <laughs> that could be a problem too. There was no sense of that this week. These teams seem fairly evenly matched in terms of talent. Uh, I thought both teams got the better of the other in different drills in different areas. Um, I watched a lot of the one-on-ones today, Lance, on the offensive and defensive line, and I thought the Giants' offensive line handled it really well. Like, they went through that first set of one rep at a time at each spot. I thought the Giants' offensive linemen, with the ones on the field, won every rep. Even Matt Parrott, I thought, uh, faced Aiden Hutchinson. I thought he blocked him to a draw. Hutchinson eventually worked his way around him, but it was after Pert stopped him on his first move. And I think in those one-on-one drills, if you force a guy into a second move, that's going to give your quarterback time to throw the football. So I thought the Giants' offensive line looked pretty good. Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence have been unblockable in East Rutherford. The Lions' guards and centers, who are some of the better ones in the league, uh, they did not fare that much better. Those guys got into the backfield too. Uh, Penny Sewell, 
uh, is really good. Um, sure. Giants had trouble getting around him, but I thought both Thibodeau and Ojolari won a couple reps, one each against Taylor Decker, who's a pretty good left tackle. So I thought the Giants' fronts look like they fought the draws, if not won against the Lions in those O-line, D-line reps. And then, like I said, I thought the offense looked better in this period. So the Lions, as a team that most people are predicting to win the NFC North, which I I think some people may be a little bit too confident about that, to be honest with you. But I thought the Giants, and much like their two records last year, I think they were one game apart, half game apart, something like that. Um, They look like they're right in the same wheelhouse of quality of team, quality of talent. And I think it'll be interesting to see those teams fight it out with each other as they try to go for you know the NFC wild card spots if, if the Giants can't win the division. Yeah, Lions started one and six last season. They went eight and two in their final ten games. And they're a team that's strong in the trenches. That's why I think it's a really good test for the Giants. You were talking about Panay Sewell. Yeah, I mean you could argue the Lions have one of the best offensive lines in football, especially with Frank Ragnow, yep. Jonah Jackson, Decker, the list goes on and on. So you're really tested from all parameters and all angles. The one element that I noticed in your practice report, in case anybody wants to check it out, from yesterday is up on Giants.com. You seem to focus, John, a lot on the Giants' secondary in terms yep. of how it matched up. And I wanted to peruse some of your takeaways because one guy that you highlighted, and I don't think we've talked enough about him, I would argue. Oh, you love your veterans, Land. Yeah. I know where you're going okay. with this, well, baby. I'm going to bring up Bobby McCain. <laughs> yes, yeah, you I are. don't. I You caught my eye when you wrote up Bobby McCain. Not to say that you crowned him, but you had pretty high praise. John, that was my takeaway, and we have not brought his name up because he's a versatile guy. You could line him up in the slot. You could put him at safety, and even if you look at the unofficial depth chart, by the way, John, that was released the other day, and I know we can only put so much stock and substance into that, but McCain is not front and center, even on the unofficial depth chart, but the fact that you highlighted him, that piqued my interest right there. Yeah, I just thought he was always in the neighborhood of the ball. You know, they would complete a pass, he was there. They threw a pass, he would be there to either deflect it or make the catch extremely difficult. You saw him deep safety. You saw him over the slot receiver uh, at inside cornerback at the nickel. So I just think he's a really versatile player, and you can tell. I talked to Jason Pinnock after practice today. That's going to air on our our radio pregame show on on Friday night. And he praised him as just a veteran that knows where to go, and he's such a smart player. And I think having a versatile player like that, and I think Nick McLeod is versatile in a different way. He's more of an outside corner safety than a slot corner safety. You know, having those two type of guys that can do a little bit of everything that you trust as veterans that have a decent amount of snaps in the league, McCain more than McLeod, obviously – I thought McCain was good, and I, at this point, Lance, I, I don't care what that depth chart says, and sure. you can talk about that if you want. If I think I'd be very surprised if he was not on the final 53-man roster. I, I just I just think he's too solid of a player where if somebody gets hurt or something goes wrong, you can plug him in. You might not get Pro Bowl-level play, but it's not going to kill you. And I think we saw that, right? He started on a pretty good Washington defense for years. Yeah. And it wasn't like we headed into those games and circled him and said, oh, you got to attack Bobby McCain here. No, he's a solid, solid player. Plus, I like the fact that he can go back and forth in two different positions because, yep. John, you never know if injuries come about. And I understand that they're experimenting a little right now in terms of the slot corner position. We've seen a Dory in there when Trey Hawkins is lined up outside. Darnay Holmes is listed number one on the unofficial depth chart. You have Cordell Flott, but McCain in a pinch, John. 
during the midst of the season, something comes up, at least Wink can feel, even if he wants to go with three safeties, one of those guys, John, has to play closer to the line of scrimmage. And that's where, to me, a guy like Bobby McCain could come in, and then you could still have McKinney, Pinnock, or McKinney and McLeod, or Belton on the field, and you at least feel good, okay, McCain's been exposed to lining up with wide receivers under those circumstances. Yeah, and Pinnock likes to blitz out of that slot spot, too. That's something that he's very adept at. I'm, I'm with you 100%. I think when you have a guy... Anyone lands that you can trust to cover a wide receiver one-on-one, Absolutely, it's very difficult to let that guy walk out the door because that is probably the toughest individual thing you ask a player to do in the National Football League is cover man-to-man, and we've seen Bobby McCain do it. So for me, I think I'd be very surprised if he wasn't on this final 53-man roster because I think he's really valuable. And then the other two guys I highlight too is you know Trey Hawkins and Deontay Banks. I think it was good to see them two rookies go against another team. And I think there was a learning experience for them because I think, you know, you go against guys in an offense where you don't know the tendencies of the players, you don't know the tendency of the offense, and they probably saw things in these two practices they hadn't seen before, you know, maybe even ever in their lives going back to college. And I think it's a really good learning experience for them. You know, I don't know how much they're going to play in this preseason game on Friday. I don't know how much anybody's going to play in this preseason game on Friday. But, you know, these are basically their first ever live reps against another team, save for Jalen Hyatt on offense, and I thought he did a good job separating. I think he showed that he can run away from defensive backs on on a pretty talented defense. So, for me, I thought it was fun watching the rookies play. John Michael Schmitz I thought was really good. You know, they don't have the best defensive tackles Detroit, but I thought he held his own. So, I think seeing, to your point, I think the veterans, seeing them, you know, they can utilize their strengths more in an environment like this rather than what's going on at the facility where everyone kind of has the advantage of knowing what the offense or defense is doing uh, um, on the other side of them because of the familiarity of it. You know, McCain can flex his muscle and say, look, this is my ability to anticipate now because I've seen this before. I've been in the league. And I think the rookies are the opposite. We see them experience something they never have before, which I think is fun to watch. Well, it's funny you brought that up because on yesterday's program, I was talking with Howard and we went in depth on that subject about, I think after a while, especially for the rookies, okay, let's highlight Deontay Banks and Trey Hawkins. When you start lining up, John, against the same wide receivers on a daily basis, it becomes a little predictable. It's not to say that five days of practices makes them experts in the secondary, but I think they have a better gauge of the tendencies for a Sterling Shepard or an Isaiah Hodgins or a Jalen Hyatt, and they understand the speed. Now you get thrown out with Amon Ross St. Brown and Josh Reynolds and Marvin Jones. It's one thing to tell me you saw highlights of them in previous seasons. It's another thing to line up across from them and have to adjust on the fly. So that's why I think it's a really good test for Banks and Hawkins because they don't have an opportunity to anticipate as much because they weren't exposed to these guys for X amount of days. Yeah, and it's it's, it's, it's the offense for sure, scheme-wise. But to your point, Lance, it's understanding tendencies. You know. Yeah. You only have so many moves on releases, and the corners are going to see these receivers do these releases, and they're going to figure out how to play them. And you know the type of routes are going to be asked to run based on position on the field. The playbook's only so thick. But you're right. These guys are thrown into a environment where they don't know what's coming. They're not familiar with the playbook. They're not familiar with the opposing player specifically. And you got to learn. And you're going to take your bumps, your bruises, and you got to come back, and you got to play well in the next possession. So I thought they did a really nice job. Um, doing just that. They had times where they got beat down the field. It's going to happen. But I thought they was there was no like hesitation. There was no, oh, no, this is a problem, and they got a little timid. They went right back out there, and I thought they uh, got better as the week went along. 
Now, as far as injuries, Brian Dable spoke to the media right before practice. He had referenced that Devery Hamilton did not practice today. He was banged up. Gary Brightwell, he referenced. And then, of course, we know Evan Neal is still in concussion protocol. Does it seem as if anything is significant in terms of a Hamilton or a Brightwell? Or at this point, it's too early to tell? No, Brightwell was out there. He looked fine. I did not notice Hamilton. Shepard got a veteran day, so he did not practice today. But he was given the day off for a veteran day. And and, uh, Saquon Barr. Barkley did some early stuff on seven on seven, but once they got into team drills, Barkley was not participating either, just to kind of make sure he stays healthy and give him a blow. He tried to sneak it a couple times and he had to get <laughs> stopped, but um, yeah, they, they did not have Saquon out there in the team stuff either. Speaking of the physicality, and I'm sure Barkley had his fair share of opportunities at least the previous day within the red zone, and you had highlighted some of the runs that he and Eric Gray and so forth put forth. I'm curious, did it seem to be a little bit more chippy today, John? Because they avoided fights. Everything seemed to be on good behavior yesterday. Did it elevate a little bit? Because I know Dan Campbell, when he was talking with the media, even Dable had indicated they thought maybe the meter would rise a little bit more today. No, I thought it would too, but it didn't. I, I honestly didn't notice anything even come close to being something. I thought the two teams, I think my guess is that the coaches probably warned them before practice and read them the riot act. <laughs> and they listened because I didn't see anything even come close to um, being some type of fight, pushing match, anything like that. I thought they did a really nice job. And the defense of the Giants, I thought was not chippy, but they were chirpy. Uh, they forced... One interception, I was told there was a second. I didn't see it. They forced three fumbles. They were really getting their hands on the football, and they were kind of letting the Lions know about it. So they were pretty opportunistic, to use one of your favorite words, getting their hands on the football a little bit. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney Collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility Dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Well, remember, the money stat from last season, and it's not good money, is only six interceptions on the season. That was tied for the lowest mark with the Raiders. So if they can get their hands on footballs, it's not the end-all, be-all to say that that's going to continue throughout the regular season. But I think that could go a long way in helping field position and you know change the trajectory a little bit more of the defense because you can't expect, and we talked about this, John, time and time again, you can't expect them to consistently make stops on drives the conventional way. They're going to have to manufacture plays that flip the script. And they're just there wasn't a lot of that last season. There were some fumbles, okay, I'll give you that. But they're just... They're weren't an overwhelming amount of interceptions. We've gone through the schedule. The passing attacks, they're going to come through fast and furious, especially early in the season. So if the Giants can increase that interception number, I think that could go a long way in... Forget the defense. I think people don't talk enough about how much, John, that could help the offensive side of the ball if you pile up some of those opportunistic plays. Yeah, short fields, and that makes things easy. You don't want to make the team drive the length of the field. Um, and that's where the Giants, you know, they were great in the red zone last year, Lance, but in terms of, you know, 
raw yardage stats and moving the ball between the 20s, they weren't the best in the league. That's something that I think they need to get better at this year. And we talked about the explosive plays, which is a big part of that. But if you can get takeaways and, you know, make the Giants offense only get one or two first downs before you're even in the red zone, that makes things a lot easier for the offense. In terms of the depth chart that we were referencing earlier, yesterday Howard and I discussed it a little bit, and I'm completely with you. There's only so much you can read into it, but I'm curious what jumped out to you because I do think there were a few things that were noteworthy, John, and one of them was on the offensive line, the fact that at least on the interior right now, Bredesen, Schmitz, and Glowinski are the two guards in the center. And also, you know, we had this conversation, I think it was last week, we brought up Tyree Phillips. Remember we were talking about who's going to be the swing tackle? Phillips is listed as a backup in three different spots. I don't know if you noticed that, because you brought up Matt Paird, and you were seeing how he fared against the Lions. But the fact that Phillips is at both guard spots as a backup and the tackle means, you know, I think they look at his versatility maybe as kicking inside a little bit more this year than maybe solely being an exterior guy, perhaps. Yeah, I'm actually writing this in my practice report today. I think both those guys, Parrott and Phillips, are making a case to make the final 53-man roster. To your point, because Phillips can move inside, right? Yeah. So... If Paird's your swing tackle and then Phillips can also be like your second tackle but also your third or fourth guard, however you want to look at it, that gives him some room to make the roster. So, like, if you take a look at the five starters and if I had to bet week one, Neil, Glowinski, Schmitz, Bredesen, Thomas, I think that's what your starters are going to be right to left, right? And then your backups would be Paird, Azudu, Phillips, and then maybe Lemieux is your ninth guy when you take a look at him, or maybe McKeithen, depending on how he kind of develops here at guard and tackle. Jack I Anderson's think, another guy in the mix. Yeah, he's a guy yeah. that I know um, Brian Dable likes as well. So those are the guys that I think would be in the mix for that ninth spot. But as of right now, I'm not going to say I feel confident, but I feel pretty good that I know those eight offensive linemen, Phillips, Parrott, Izudu, and then your five starters – I think there's a good chance those guys are all on that final 53. Well, I'm with you on the Phillips front. I mean, when you list a guy, once again, at three spots, I think that says a lot about how they feel about him. And Azuda, we know, is young and was a high pick last yep. year. You know, Parrott want to see maybe what he could do in the preseason a little bit. The other thing, speaking of the depth chart, and, and maybe this is a bit of a message to a guy like Shane Lemieux and some of those other guys who are trying to experiment a little bit at center, Bredesen. John is listed as the primary backup center behind John behind John Michael Schmitz in addition to him being the starting left guard. I just I wonder whether or not that means they're still looking for somebody to establish themselves as another legitimate center slash guard if Bredesen is the first man up, let's say, hypothetically speaking, in the event John Michael Schmitz goes down, or they just feel Bredesen is more effective at center and they have another option that could slide in for Bredesen if they had to move him further to the inside. Yeah, that's why I think it kind of is a competition between Lemieux and Anderson, right, for that fourth interior guy after Schmitz, Bredesen, Bredesen and Azudu, and of course Lewinsky, who I haven't mentioned, so that would be your fifth interior guy. Um, behind those four with Lemieux and Anderson, because they can both play center, they can both play guard. So, and remember, Lemieux is listed as both the third string center and the third string left guard. Anderson yep. is just listed as a center. So I think that probably gives Lemieux maybe a little bit of an advantage. Because I think he's a little bit more position flex than Anderson has. He's probably more of a center only. He's not as big of a guy as, as Lemieux is. So 
Yeah, I agree. I think those guys, if you keep nine, and I think you're probably going to keep nine, right? That's what you usually I would do agree. on the offensive yeah. line. If not ten, I've seen people keep ten. But I think nine's more likely. I think those two guys with either McKeithen or even Devery Hamilton, who has played inside and out, those would kind of be the guys that are in the mix for that final spot. Yeah, going back to last season, Hamilton was a guy they pretty much lined up in all five spots. I remember when Bobby Johnson would speak to the media he basically would say, hey, coach, just tell me where to line up. I'm good. And they absolutely experimented with that. So that was my main takeaway. Oh, by the way, Lance, yeah. real quick, I t- we should mention Corey Cunningham, too, because he's listed as the backup left tackle. Remember, he was on this roster for a good portion of last year. He was that extra tight end they would bring in as the, as the sixth offensive lineman. So that's another guy, too, that I think would be in the mix for that final spot as well. I don't want to shortchange him. No, that's fair. You just wonder, though, based on the conversation we just had, John, we were talking about a lot of guys in that group of four, let's assume they keep nine that are interchangeable at multiple positions. I guess my question is, does Cunningham not have as much appeal because they look at him primarily as a tackle? He has taken some guard reps and one-on-ones throughout camp, but not a ton. He's been mostly a tackle, but I think they are trying to see if, like Phillips, he can slide into guard if they need him there. And it's wise to do that because, once again, if you're going to keep four guys, I would say you maybe could get away, John, with one of the four playing just one position, those other three, they have to be able to do guard slash tackle or guard slash center. You just, you don't have the volume of spots to say he's one tackle, he's one guard, and he's one center. Because you just, you never know. You lose two offensive linemen in a game and you only have a player or two that could just play tackle, who are you going to turn to under those circumstances? Yeah, I think that's why it's a must. One backup, you can live with being a tackle only. But beyond that, you need your other guys to be able to play multiple spots. Now, as far as the defensive side of the ball, to me, the noticeable takeaway was Pinnock listed as the strong safety next to McKinney. But once again, he's somebody that was on the roster last season. You know, you could argue could have Belton been listed, but I think Pinnock has played very well in the early stages of camp. And then Darnay Holmes listed as the starting slot corner, despite the fact that we've seen them experiment with other positions. I still think Jobs are very much up for grabs, and I'm sure based on some of your reporting and what we were just discussing, the Lions' practices, I would say further pretty much back that up, especially when it comes to the slot position. Yeah, I think that's wide open, Lance. I think it could be Holmes. I think it can be Flott. I think it could be Adoree Jackson if Trey Hawkins continues to play yep. well and can figure out a way to be outside with one of those spots. Heck, maybe it's Bobby McCain for all we know. Maybe they end up there at some point. It's a really good question, but I do think that spot is very open. We've seen them move guys in and out of that spot a lot, and I do think that's something that's very much up for grabs at this point. 100% agree. And then with respect to the interior linebackers, Beavers is one of the top two guys, which I think we expected at this point based on the fact that he's now back in the mix after suffering that torn ACL. And, you know, one, one of the things we did not bring up yet was how Beavers matched up with opposing talent because, John, remember, we only got to see him in, what, one preseason game and it didn't even last through that entire Bengals game. What, if anything, did you notice out of Beavers over the last two days in Detroit? Yeah, I thought he was found himself in the right spot a bunch. You know, linebackers and running backs are tough for me in practice, Lance. Those are two positions for me that I need to see in games. You know, you're not hitting, you're not tackling to the ground. It's not 100% full go. And I think unless for a running back, somebody's trying to tackle you, or for a linebacker, you're trying to tackle someone else, I don't think it's possible 
for you to get a true read on how well that player at those positions are playing until you get into a preseason game. So I think we'll see Beavers in the game on Friday. Maybe we'll see him and McFadden both start, and you'll get a lot of snaps from both those guys because I do think that spot's still open. McFadden's gotten plenty of reps with the ones, too, and I think those guys are battling out to see which one is going to be out there. And it could be a situational deal, too, right, Lance? Depending on what they think the opponent's going to do in that given game, do they sure. find one player better than the other? So I think Beavers is making progress, and I do think that's still an open battle as well. Because also a lot of guys were banged up at that position or they just don't have overwhelming amount of experience. So the sample size for that position is probably one of the lowest compared to the rest of the position groups, especially, for example, if you bring wide receiver into the conversation. It's almost night and day based on the volume of snaps that that position is logged versus wide out. Lance Meadow, John Schmelk with you here. Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. few reminders here as we move forward. Giants Auto Podcast, you can check that out as you go to your favorite podcast platform, or you could head to Giants.com slash podcast. Run or walk with Giants legends. The Giants Foundation going to host a 5K race and kids run. It's presented by Quest coming up Sunday, October 8th, 9 a.m. at MetLife Stadium. Net proceeds will benefit the Giants Foundation. All participants will receive a commemorative T-shirt after the race. You could stay for a post-race festival with appearances by Giants legends and a live DJ. Register now at Giants.com slash 5K. The 2023 NFL schedule is officially out. Single-game tickets are on sale now. Don't miss the Giants at MetLife Stadium this season. Visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat. And you can take your fandom to the next level with a season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And... The Giants official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV. It brings you original video content, game highlights on demand, and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV is free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. So are you hanging around from Motown, or do you need to bid us goodbye in terms of your plans here? Uh, let's see. Paul Dottino has to come in here and record some VOs, but I have not seen him yet. So I can stick with you until he knocks on the door. Okay, fair enough. So you'll keep us posted yes. until Dottino bothers you, and yes. then we will bid you goodbye. In the meantime, let's open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513, and we check in with Tom in Stratford here on BBKL. What's happening, Tom? What do you got for us? Hey, gentlemen, I just want to say thank you for this awesome, great coverage you're doing, uh, both from the uh, um, spring practices through the summer and now this week being on site and everything. I mean, I really appreciate it, this awesome job. Um, well, we appreciate you tuning in. Also, yeah. And I also want to say I think uh, McEachin, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah. McKeithen, yeah, I think he's destined for the practice squad because, you know, he didn't even play last year at all, and there's a lot of competition on the O-line, but... Um, I think you're probably right about that, Tom. You know, and um, I just want to say, you have a lot of great, knowledgeable callers, so I'm going to get off the phone, so hopefully they call in. Um, I don't know their names, um, but I also want to say, though, I do like the Charlie calls, because... Well, that makes one of you. minority in that... Yeah, but, you know, he always makes a valid point before he flies off the deep end. And I love the interplay <laughs> between, between him and you guys, you know. So, 
Call a valid. Keep on calling in. <laughs> All right, Tom. I, I don't know. I don't know if the rest of our viewers and listeners would agree with your sentiments. We'll let you go on that note. I think you went off the deep end with respect to that last statement. I will say, Lance. I think it's, it's split fifty-fifty. I do get complaints on Twitter that we should never take his calls. Then I get other people defending it. No, we like the Charlie call. So I think I think there is a split there. There are definitely people in the Lance category, and then I think there are people that tolerate him a little bit more. Well, you really have to have patience, like a saint, in order to tolerate. Him And when you say the word validity, which is what Tom threw out, I would say that's a term, John, that must be used very loosely, apparently, on this program, because uh, I wouldn't necessarily choose that vocabulary word as the first one that comes to mind with respect to that call. I'm not even going to bring up his name and do him justice with respect to that. I'll leave that to you. Let's head back to the lines. Speaking of characters, Wilson is in Roxbury joining us. What's happening, Wilson? Hey, Lance. Hey, hey, John. I hope you're enjoying Detroit. It's fun, yeah. We're doing well. Hey, listen. Let me let me ask you guys something. Is there another quarterback with more pressure than than Daniel? Poor Daniel Jones this year. I mean, this poor guy, man. After one practice, all oh, the Giants come crashing back to earth. Some of these people that write stuff down on the internet, I I just don't know why they dislike this poor kid so much. I mean. Why? I don't get it. I, 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 maybe you guys know, but I don't get it, man. I, I mean, after one practice, he missed, like, guys wide open. He was 6 for 13. Some of this crazy stuff that people write down. But they're not like normal people. These are actually reporters that write this stuff down, you know? Well, so, they're doing their yeah. job from that standpoint. Remember, you know, all of these outlets, they have to cover practice on a daily basis. And I think that's why you're getting the overreaction that you're referring I to. I mean, I remember, for example, when Tua was debuting for the Dolphins, they put him out there in the spring, and people were adding up how many incompletions he threw. Yes. And, you know, everybody goes crazy. I mean, that's just a product yeah. of the overwhelming coverage of the uh, NFL. That's why... The way, yeah, and, go ahead, John. And, yeah. Wilson, just for the record, this is not just yeah. what the New York media does with Daniel Jones. You look at the Packers reporters with Jordan yep. Love, who's having a big year. You look at the Bears reporters with Justin Fields, who's coming into a big year. You look at all the rookie quarterbacks, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young... That's just standard. That, that, that is just at this point. That's just standard operating procedure. And I know you get upset about it. Paul Dottino gets upset about it. It's just the way things are now. No, and just deal no, with I am not, Listen, guys, I understand that. But for some reason, Daniel. It, it seems like Daniel Jones. I mean, like you hear some of these people that Saquon Barkley is the most important player in the Giants' offense. That is not true. It's Daniel Jones. I mean, but just people just say that because for some crazy reason they try to slide this poor kid, and you know, and 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 the NFL didn't do him many favors because he plays on national television the first game of the year against the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I'm just praying to God that he's got a, he has a good game, to, just to shut all these people up once and for all. I'm, like, well, but in, in like fairness, it. in like fairness, it. Wilson, okay, yeah. then you're doing exactly what you're criticizing everybody else of doing. If he has a good game, let's say hypothetically speaking against the Cowboys, does right. a season get defined by one game? No, 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 no. Okay. Lance, listen. I, I, I always like Daniel. I think he's got a top ten arm, and he can, and he's a top five running quarterback. He just had really bad coaching, but I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that as a Giants fan, I said this to you guys before. It, it, it kept, it's like I said. What are we? What else are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the fourth lineman and the depth chart. I don't want to call you guys about that. So I like to talk about stuff that that I think a lot of Giants fans. 
care. Like it bothers us. It, it bothers me when they like uh, like Jalen Hurts. I understand Jalen Hurts, but he's not the third best quarterback in the league. And they but they have a lot of people put him as the, the third best quarterback in the league. And Daniel Jones is a bum. It just it bothers Giants fans for that for, for that for that you know point of view. Well, you know Wilson, I mean? like the Giants have like the twentieth best odds to win the Super Bowl, and like uh, the New York, the New Orleans Saints have like the twelfth best odds. And that, that is just a, to me, it's an insult. We won a playoff game last year, so it just—I don't understand why it's just like this dislike about the Giants and, and Daniel Jones and all this crazy stuff that's going on. And for some reason, and I just don't understand it, you know. But like I said, I know they got to do their job, but it still bothers us. It, it bothers me. Well, clearly it bothers you, though. If I had my choice and appreciate the phone call, Wilson, I would gladly take phone calls from you about the sixth cornerback on the depth chart, John. I mean, I'd be more than happy to break that down as opposed to listening to Wilson go over all of the gambling scenarios in the upcoming season. And this is my response. John, how many times have people gone back and looked over preseason projections? Oh, they're always right. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, I mean, the NFL is so easy to predict lines. I mean, one hundred percent. People get this yes. right all the time. I mean, it's, sure. it's, it's really easy. That that's why everyone that gambles always wins, and the house never wins because it's so easy to predict these things, and people are always right. Without a doubt, yeah. So, I mean, that's my response. Stop putting an overwhelming amount of stock into you know, all of these preseason prognosticators when more often than not, it doesn't come to fruition. Correct. You can't get that irritated over this stuff. Hey, look, and- Lance, and I'll say this, just, just, just about the general NFC playoff picture. And people, have, if you listen to the Giants Little Podcast and Robert Mays, I'm not sure if it's up yet, but it should be shortly. I did him, interviewed him out here in Detroit. He does a great job on the Athletic Football Show podcast. You know, this is kind of how I look at the NFC, right? You have the three teams last year that were, if you look at point differential or win total, were easily the three best teams in the conference, right? Dallas, San Francisco, and Philadelphia. By any metric you can look at, those were the three best teams in the conference. Do you agree? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Now, the Vikings had the record, but they didn't have the point differentials. That's why I'm not putting them in that Yeah, top they category. walked the fine line of winning and losing. Correct. So you have those three teams, and they're kind of, to me, until somebody else proves they're in that group with those three, those three teams are in their group alone. Now, maybe the Giants can close the gap on Dallas. We'll see. I think they have a chance to do it, but we haven't seen that yet. Then everyone else is a mess. I mean, would it shock you if this group of teams, Minnesota, Green Bay, Detroit, Seattle, the Giants, Washington, pick your NFC South team that doesn't win the division. Who the hell knows? That thing's wide open, right? Couldn't you see those teams finish in almost any order in the NFC standings and it wouldn't surprise you? It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. No, I'm completely with you. I mean, I do think the NFC South is going to be better this season, though. We're not going to get four teams under 500 again. I agree with that. That's not happening. So I think you're going to have one team that separates itself, and I think Carolina could be a sneaky team. I know they have Bryce Young, but they got some talent around Bryce Young on both sides of the ball. They could be a tough out. I think there are arguments for any four of those teams. The Bucs have a guy with veteran players with a winning pedigree. Yep. The Saints still have a good veteran defense, and Derek Carr is a solid middle-of-the-road NFL Well, that's why they should win the division, the Saints. Right. Realistically, they should win it. And the Falcons have everything but the quarterback, right? I mean, they are stacked on offense. They have a good offensive line. They have weapons all over the place. I'm not sure about their defense yet. They have a lot of things work to do on that side of the ball still. But their offensive weapons, and Arthur Smith is a heck of an offensive play caller, so I think they're dangerous. And then, to your point, the Panthers, they have all this talent. They were just missing the quarterback, and now – 
I you know I think they have that quarterback. We'll see if it happens in year one. But look, there are arguments to be made for any of those four teams win the NFC South. That's going to be fun. And by the way, you can make the argument for any of maybe not the Bears, but I could see the Packers winning the NFC North. I could see the Lions winning the NFC North. And I think people are sleeping on the Vikings. Why can't they win the NFC North again? Well, Brian Flores is now the defensive coordinator. I don't think that unit could get any worse than no, it was last season. <laughs> so, yeah, if the defense meets the offense a little bit more halfway, sure. Minnesota maybe doesn't play as many nail-biter games because they win by a touchdown or more a few times with a better defense. We know their offense could put up points, so I'm with you there. But on the flip side, though, I would also argue highly unlikely, John, that we get the NFC East with four teams in the playoff hunt oh, like yes. we had last season. 100%, so you, yes. if you're accounting for the NFC NFC South to take a step up, then the NFC East to me is going to take a slight step back given it's a tougher schedule and it's just, it's unheard of for two seasons in a row to have four teams have a legitimate shot to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you. And look, remember the NFC East plays the NFC West this year. So that's a situation where if the the NFC East is going to be really good again, then well, what's going to happen in the NFC West? I think we all think the Cardinals are going to be not very good, uh, but we'll see about the Rams, right? I don't know how bad they're going to be. Are they going to sell off middle of the year if they aren't very good? You know, and then, of course, the AFC East plays the NFC East. So yeah. those, are, I think, are two of the best divisions. So it's it's going to be tough. Let's head back to the phone lines here. Lance Meadow, John Schmelk with you on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Jake is in Orlando joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Jake? What do you got for us? Hey, guys. What's going on, Lance and John? How you doing, guys? We're doing all right. What's on your mind? Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to call in and um, say that I'm a, I'm doing a great job what you guys are doing with this program. I'm impressed with how you guys are, you know, talking about the death chart and how the Giants are, what the updates are. Good job on that. And also, I have a few questions about particular players like James Robinson, for example. Do you know the status of his, like, you know, the death chart referring to with James Robinson, do you think he's going to get more run or rest during the season? Or what's the status on that? I'm just curious. Well, he has to make the team first. I mean, they have a lot of running backs in that room. I think all of us believe Breda and Barkley are on the team and Eric Gray's on the team. So do they keep a fourth running back? And if they keep a fourth running back, is that going to be a younger guy like a Deshaun Corbin or a Gary Brightwell? Will it be a veteran like James Robinson, and frankly, watching Robinson, I I feel like he has something left in the tank, to be honest with you. I think he's looked pretty good in practice, but I think keeping a fourth running back, Lance, is is probably unlikely, unless he's going to be a huge contributor on special teams. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun, such a great entertainer, and that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney Collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility Dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Yeah, I don't think they have the luxury to do that. I mean, on the unofficial depth chart, he's fifth 
with Jay Sean Corbin. Not to say that you should read into that, but just give an idea where they put him. I also think it's possible, John, given how long he was out on the market. I know he was briefly with the New England Patriots and the fact that he's coming off a significant injury. You may be able to get him to pass through waivers and bring him back on the practice squad. I don't think that's crazy. If they say Saquon and Matt Breida are the carryovers from last season and Breida knows the offense very well, Brightwell played on all four special teams in college, so he's appealing. And I thought he showed some nice flashes last season. And you know Eric Gray's making the team, John, because he just drafted him. Yep. So, I mean, James Robinson, as effective as he may be in practices, the bottom line is I think he's still on the border. And I do think that if they say, hey, we want another veteran on the practice squad— I think you could very well get him to pass through waivers and put him on the practice squad. I don't think there's going to be an overwhelming push to make a claim on him. And I don't know. And also, yeah, go if ahead. You want to hear my opinion, honestly? Um, for due to James Robinson's veteran experience with Jacksonville, how well he played there as a talented bell cow back. On my opinion, I'm I'm not sure if I'm this is correct or not. I'm just predicting that I believe. Saquon should be number one RB than Matt Breida, and I think James Brown should be behind that. They, those three have experience on the field, and they've been, I think they did the three threat dual running backs in the depth chart. With, um, with Eric Gray as the punt returner, and then having Cor- Corbin, is that his name? Yeah, Corbin? Jay Sean Corbin. Mm-hmm. I believe he should be in the special teams on the practice squad, and I think that would be looking ideal for this type of dead shot that Giants are trying to do. That's just my opinion. But, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the expert here. So no, listen, you're entitled to your opinion, Jake. And we appreciate you, you weighing in. Yeah, thanks so for Lance, giving us a ring. FYI, I have Bob Papa in my room looking at me to record some uh, VOs for our TV show, so I'm <laughs> going to bid you adieu. Okay. And uh, I will be back tomorrow with uh, with Crazy Man Tatino holding hands in the hotel room for Big Blue Kickoff Live on Thursday. If only somebody could take some snaps of photos while that show is being recorded. No to be a fly to on the wall in that room. <laughs> well, good luck with that, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I and appreciate enjoy. that. Yes, Lance. well, thanks for coming on the program. Nah, good show. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, by the way, tell Casillas I said hello. Oh, I definitely will. I will I will <laughs> pass on your regards, yes. Right, thanks, we'll keep Lance. that in-house, by the way. That is uh, John Schmelk from uh, a Motown hotel room, an undisclosed location, I should add here, on Big Blue Kickoff Live. I just want to, before we get to some more phone calls and topics. I wanted to piggyback off of the question from the last caller with respect to the running back depth chart. Corbin could easily go on the practice squad. I don't think that's concerning. But this idea that you should prioritize only keeping veteran players on the roster at running back because of experience, I don't necessarily agree with that. And even though Eric Gray right now is penciled in as being one of the return guys, this is a player that has a dynamic skill set based on what he did at Oklahoma, as both a runner and a receiver, he brings something different to the table that Barkley and Breida don't necessarily showcase. So I would not look to bury Eric Gray on the depth chart just because he's a rookie and maybe contributing on special teams. There's opportunities for a series of plays to get him in the lineup. I think that could very well come about throughout the course of the season. And Brightwell, compared to James Robinson... And this is where you make decisions for the fourth running back. Brightwell, you know, can contribute on special teams. He did it in college. And remember, he's also a candidate in the return game. Let's not rule that out. Especially with respect to returning kickoffs. There's more versatility that Brightwell and Gray offer 
versus James Robinson. Robinson has more experience, but when you're making back end of the roster decisions, Brightwell and Gray, there's youth, there's special teams, and there's a multitude of a skill set. And that could very well be the differentiating factor to perhaps solidify a roster spot. And once again, I feel good, and this is not anything against James Robinson. I think he's a very talented player, and he came right out of college as an undrafted player and ran for 1,000 yards for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Unfortunately, that was interrupted due to his injury. But if you look at the injury and you look at the fact that it didn't seem like there was an overwhelming amount of teams that were after his services, they could very well get him through waivers and then have him return to the practice squad. And then you could call him up as you need him throughout the course of the season. Let's... Move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Wednesday's edition. We've been talking about the unofficial depth chart. We've also been talking about some takeaways from the practices with the Lions. As far as other things to note with respect to the depth chart, since we're on the subject, a wide receiver, much like running back, is going to be a very difficult position to hone in on. And you look at some of the guys that we see pop up on a daily basis who continue to make plays, and John highlighted some of them in his practice report. Isaiah Hodgins, Jalen Hyatt with his speed. Colin Johnson continues to make catches. I noted that last week. I mean, just watching practice, you know, Colin may not be listed number one on the depth chart, but the man is Mr. Reliable, if we're looking for a nickname. And he's another guy like James Robinson and another former Jacksonville Jaguar coming off an injury. And I think he's easy to overlook, but he adds that size that other dimension that you don't see from anybody else on the roster. The only other guy that you could bring up from a size perspective is Isaiah Hodgins. So if you're the Giants and the goal is obviously to bring back the best possible receivers, but I think also you want to present different lineups to the opposition. That's the thing about Colin Johnson. Colin can offer you something that I would argue no one else on the depth chart does. And that is moving the chains and being able to box out the defensive backs. That's what Johnson can offer you. Because I'm not including Hodgins in this equation, assuming Hodgins is going to be on the field for the bulk of the snaps. So God forbid Hodgins gets hurt, you could slide in a guy like Colin Johnson. Who else on this roster presents that size element? Cole Beasley, Jamison Crowder, Sterling Shepard, Wondell Robinson's on pup, all small stature guys. You get size with the tight end position in Darren Waller. I'll give you that. But if you're just having a conversation about the wide receivers, that's where I think Colin Johnson holds value. So he's the one guy that I'm most interested to see how things pan out. Because once again, he's going to bring something to the table that I don't think the others will. And if they're looking for diversity, Within the receiving core, that's where I think Colin Johnson gets a check mark. And we were talking about the running backs and how many do you keep. I think seven is a lot of wide receivers. And I think with the ability to put some on the practice squad, I don't know if you need to go that direction. I think six makes a lot more sense. And if we were just to go through the different scenarios here, Darius Slade and Isaiah Hodgins and Paris Campbell are listed as the top three guys. So if we operate with six, you got three more spots. Let's assume Wondell Robinson starts the season on PUP. So he would miss the first four games. Jalen Hyatt, he's in. That's number four. 
Now you got two spots. Cole Beasley brought in right before the start of training camp. Does he help soften the blow with Wandell Robinson's injury and serve as an extra insurance policy for a Paris Campbell who's dealt with his fair share of injuries during the course of his career? So if you pencil him in, that's five. And oh, by the way, I didn't even bring up Sterling Shepard's name because Darius Slayton is listed as the third starter. And this is where you get into some heated debates and what are you looking for? I would, once again, I would start leaning more towards Colin Johnson because I think Colin offers something that none of those other guys I mentioned. And with respect to Sterling Shepard, it could come down to Sterling versus Cole Beasley to take the spot of Wandell Robinson if he starts the season on PUP. It could be a mano-a-mano battle between both of those guys. And I know I didn't bring up Jamison Crowder. He's another guy. And Crowder also, the appeal of Crowder when we were talking about him in the offseason was what he could do on special teams in the return game. But it just seems as if what Eric Gray has presented in practice and a Gary Brightwell that if they wanted to go in the direction of a younger guy, they may not have to keep a wide receiver who has the ability to return. Because punt returner is Eric Gray. Kick returner is Gary Brightwell. That's who's listed on this unofficial depth chart. And then behind both of those guys, Khalil Pimpleton is behind Eric Gray. And Eric Gray is behind Brightwell. We don't even actually see... Jamison Crowder, interestingly, is not even listed as one of the return options at punt or kickoff. And once again, you have this conversation two months ago. You're throwing out the idea. He could be an option. He could be somebody that they turn to. They may not be thinking from that direction. So that means then Crowder has to make the team as a wide receiver, period. End of discussion. That's why I look at it as a battle between Crowder, Beasley, and Shepard. And they may not have the luxury to keep two of those three. It may simply come down to one. And then remember, if Wondell Robinson is going to be on PUP, God forbid one of their slot guys does suffer an injury in the early stage of the season, assuming Robinson is still on that right pathway, you can activate him after the fourth game of the season and he could very well be back in the mix. So that would be almost like a nice bonus following the first quarter of the season. Now that's the beauty of having guys on injured reserve and physically unable to perform list. They can help bolster your roster without even making a transaction because they're already technically, they're in-house. You just need to make a move to activate them and put them on the active 53-man roster. And we were in the same boat last season with offensive linemen, Matt Paert, for example, who started the season off as an injured player, and then they activated him midway through the year. And we could very well see that come to fruition at the wide receiver position with Wondell Robinson. And then a few of these other guys who I didn't bring up, Minkins, Pimpleton, Ford Whedon, you could very well put them on the practice squad. If all goes correctly, you could develop them, more so with Pimpleton and Ford Whedon because they're a bit younger. And then if opportunities present themselves, you call them up during the course of the season. And when you look at the Giants' wide receiver core last season, I mean, Hodgins was acquired midway through the year. You know, he wasn't somebody that was in camp. 
and they brought him in, and he knew the scheme, and he started to flourish, and then they brought in other guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball, off the street, and when you least suspected, they came through. That's why the beauty and the confidence of this coaching staff is what gives you the feeling that if there are injuries along the way and they have to turn back to players on the practice squad, that they've done their due diligence during the course of training camp and during the course of the season, that they're not putting guys in a baptism by fire situation where it's a rude awakening because they've given them X amount of reps during camp, they've tested them, they've been immersed in the classroom so that when you do turn to them, unlike other teams we see sometimes, you know, you're throwing out a player that didn't get a lot of looks in camp and may have not been with the team as long as some of the players on the Giants roster. And that's why when we talk about the 53-man roster, you really, you can't cut it off at 53 anymore with respect to that conversation. You have to have a conversation about 70 guys on your roster, just about. Because when you add in the practice squad players, with the way NFL seasons have played out, and with them loosening the rules and restrictions, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I guarantee you if you looked at these 16-man practice squads over the last few years, you'd find you know, probably half of the practice squads, assuming those guys stay on the roster for the bulk of the season, probably got some playing time here or there, whether it's on special teams, offense, defense, you name it. That's more of a reason why it's beyond the 53-man roster. So I think the Giants treated it that way last season, and that's why they were able to reap the rewards with a number of young guys that stepped up. It's bound to happen again this season. You don't wish it. You don't hope for it. It's just, once again, it's the nature of the National Football League. Lance Meadow with you here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, focusing on joint practices with the Lions, assessing some of the roster battles. We've been focusing on the wide receivers as well as the running backs. Let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Steve here on BBKL. What's happening, Steve? What do you got for us? What's happening, Lance? How you doing, buddy? It's been I'm doing a minute. Right. Yeah. Good. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure last year it was either Shane or Dayball. It was one of them um, in an interview just the other day said that uh, Wondell is going to be off pup in about a week. So he's definitely not going to make it to week four. Well, they have indicated, um, in fairness, though, Steve, they've indicated that sometimes with other players and then it does roll over. I'm not saying that's not a possibility, right. but, you know, when they say a week and they're not being specific, that could very well roll over to additional time. You never know. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and those things are obviously day-to-day, but my impression is just, I don't think he's going to be on the pup of week four. But I wanted to revisit this, you know, I, I just I don't know if you kind of said who you thought your, seven, your six receiver was going to be, but, ah, man, I mean, first of all, are we keeping three quarterbacks this year? Can we start there? Or would this be the first year where we only keep two? Because I want to keep seven receivers well, first of all, last no. season, well, hold on. Last season, they had Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor, and Davis Webb was on the practice squad. Okay, so I can, I can see us keeping seven receivers this year, man. I really do, because I practice squad, and I just think that uh, they might, you know, may want to move them there, but they might not entertain that. So, anyway, what I was calling to ask about last is the, the guards, who do you think, you know, Who's getting the majority of snaps at the, uh, at, you know, at the right guard in particular? And is Evan any closer to coming out of the protocol? You know. All right, Steve. Well, appreciate the phone call. Evan's still in the concussion protocol, and John and I were talking about this. I think it was on Friday's show when we were trying to assess the scenario of him likely 
playing against the Lions in joint practices and then going into the game. And I said, when you throw in a guy in concussion protocol on a Friday and you're traveling to Detroit on Monday, and he did travel with the team, I would say the chances are very slim for him to participate in practice. And that turned out to be truthful. He did not participate in these two joint practices. I would think, you know, given the fact that you're talking about your starting right tackle, they're probably going to take it easy and avoid putting him in the game. So I would think if you see Evan Neal at all, it would be the second preseason game or back in practice when they return to New Jersey. I would not expect him to play in Friday's game. I just, what is the purpose of rushing him back simply to go into a preseason game when you have two more contests? If you really want to expose him to the opposition. You don't rush players back when you're dealing with concussion protocol. So that's my personal opinion with respect to that. As far as the right guard position, I had mentioned earlier, Mark Lewinsky is listed on the unofficial depth chart. Bredesen is at the left guard position, and John Michael Schmitz is at center. And I don't think there's anything else that we've seen that would indicate that at this point, anyone else is in the running to push either one of those guys out of those two respective spots. Josh Azudu, there was talk about him maybe, you know, giving a push to Bredesen. And right now, I don't think that has developed. Tyree Phillips, they're experimenting more on the interior. I don't think he's necessarily a threat to push one of those guys out. And Shane Lemieux, I think, is focusing more on being a center and proving that he could be a backup guard and a backup center to try to solidify a roster spot. So when you look at the depth chart, and you're trying to pinpoint somebody that is going to threaten Glowinski and Bredesen, I'm just, I'm not seeing it right now based on what we've observed in practice. And they've mixed and matched, but I've always felt those two guys are in the driver's seats because A, they have the most experience. They played last season. And I think this coaching staff values Ben Bredesen. And if he didn't get the knee injury last season... We may have not been talking about a rotation once Nick Gates came back into the mix because you had a game of musical chairs a little bit. One guy got hurt, another guy came back, and that's why you had more of a rotation at that spot. Also, I think it's very important to have consistency next to Andrew Thomas. Just like you could argue the same thing with respect to Evan Neal. And maybe more so at right guard than left guard because Neal was in and out of the lineup last season with the knee injury a little bit. You want to have Glowinski line up with him on every single snap because Neal, if you're going to get him to play at a certain level, it's going to be dictated based on what the guy next to him does. You could tell me all you want about an anchor at the tackle position playing well regardless of who the guard is next to him. And it's probably a product of he's a seasoned pro and he's been in the league for a decade. Like, for example, if you put Jason Peters next to any guard, Tyron Smith next to any guard, we're not having this conversation. When you're talking about a guy entering year two in his NFL career, I think it matters who the guard is next to him because he hasn't been there and done that. And that, I think, is perhaps the missing ingredient when we evaluate who should be ultimately at right guard and left guard this season. You want to put experience and you want to put consistency atop the list. And I think right now those two guys answer that call. So that is going to wrap up things for us here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody tuning in. 
We'll be back up and running again tomorrow, but John and Paul will be doing an audio-only show from Detroit where they'll recap both joint practices, and then I'll be back in the mix on Friday as we set the stage for the first preseason game. And a reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. For John Schmelk from afar, I'm Lance Meadow. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Thursday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, watch it now on digital. Rated R.